Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who feels bad about feeling good this week, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, Gerald, I, I'm an optimist. Um... Not a glutton for any kind of punishment, but but just an optimist. I, I think, as I talked about in my bang the drum on our, our Tuesday show, a lot of good stuff is happening on the 40 acres. Uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, the football team can, can you know, get, get a win uh, this week. It's Kansas. It's not easy. In fact, I'm scared to death, as Mac Brown would say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm still feeling good, Gerald. I'm, I'm overall, I'm feeling good. After last week and convincing myself to ignore the terrible stomach feeling I had about this game based upon all the other factors um, and it turning out to be somehow worse uh, than it was before, I'm just going to go and lean into the terrible feeling and, and be okay. The fact that I'll be listening to the, the Craig Way voice, um, the beautiful voice of Craig Way during the game rather than... Um, have to watch it and sit. It'll be fine. It's okay. We're here to preview Kansas. The Kansas football game, obviously, is this Saturday, Texas, with an opportunity to avenge probably the most embarrassing of the losses, or one of the two most embarrassing of the losses from last year, uh, and keep themselves at least the heartbeat going for their shot at a Big 12 championship. They need some help. Kansas State needs to lose a game, but a loss for Texas would eliminate them from contention. And really, it might eliminate me uh, from sobriety on Saturday. I should say that I'm driving. And a loss would eliminate me from um, all of the happy feelings that I've built up over the last probably six months or so. Uh, but we'll also hit some BOL, big BOL today. I uh, got a lot of signing day from Wednesday. Last week was early signing day for all the non-football uh, athletes. So we'll hit that up and we'll close the show out with some Godzilla-tron. So, Kyle, the punchline for all of the offseason for Texas was 5-7 and seven and a loss to Kansas, right? That was the punchline. And as it stands right now, 
both of the teams that really enjoyed saying that still have five and seven on the table, which feels good to say that one of them uh, very likely will go uh, four and eight. But that's either here nor there. Uh, Kansas is on the schedule for Texas this week, uh, who has lost four of their last five games. They came out of the gate real, real hot, won five straight. Uh, if you took Kansas over two and a half, you cashed that in non-conference. Um, but it, the wheels came off a little bit. Uh, happened to coincide with Jalen Daniels getting hurt. He's missed the last five games in Kansas, coincidentally. Lost four of their last five games. Three were on the road, and then one was a seven-point home loss to TCU. The only win of that stretch was a 37-16 win over Oklahoma State, who was coming off of beating Texas at home, which absolutely sucks. Kansas is eligible for a bowl game for the first time since 2008. Mangino's second to last year there in uh, in Lawrence. So Kansas being good is usually the harbinger of a chaos year. Um, but Kansas and Lance Leipold just might be a good squad. Uh, really run by this uh, shotgun triple option that they like to run. The triple option out of the shotgun with a lot of run pass options there. They force teams to make decisions and make mistakes and then kind of capitalize on that. And Jalen Daniels did a great job of that earlier this season. And Jason Bean, who's technically the backup, was the starter a year ago, uh, has operated the offense really well in his stead. Uh, this game scares the ab absolute everything out of me Kyle that's all I could say about that yeah I mean <clears throat> it's interesting right uh Lance Leipold has done some things um it doesn't sound like tremendous that he's 8 and 14 since he showed up but that is truly tremendous and he's built something there to where even in their losses it's no longer you know the the embarrassment of a program that it was a truly seller dweller like Turner Turner Gale came in and and uh went five and 19 Leipold's already passed him Charlie Weiss five and 22 uh interim Clint Bowen one and seven David Beatty six and 42 um I'll read that again David Beatty six and 42 um Lance Leipold like needs like four more wins to pass those four guys combined. Uh, Les Miles three and eighteen. Like he, he has been so much more successful um, and has built like raised the floor of that program enough where it was a joke. It was a punchline. I think in all things Texas was early, right? Uh, we we were ahead of the game, uh, losing to Kansas. Now everyone's doing it. But uh, they, look, in, in reality, it is a good team. It is a uh, a solid team. A legitimate Big Twelve you know, caliber team this year. Uh, are they the, the best team in the country right now in its current iteration in state? No. But are they a dangerous team? And is Lance Leipold a, a dangerous coach who will, you know, scheme some things up and call some some crazy plays and some crazy defenses and, you know, either go fast or go really slow in whatever, you know, is most beneficial to him? He does the things that are needed to win, and that's what makes him great. Um, I, 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 like... This is not the Texas preview of Kansas where it's, oh, we know they're really bad, but like Texas has lost to them before. They play down to their competition. This is like, hey, this is a dangerous team that'll, that'll, that'll pop you if you're, you know, coming down from uh, a TCU game. And we saw how bad the offense was there. Uh, can't get worse. Um, and looking ahead to maybe a, a Baylor team that, you know, is, um, is spicy as well. Uh, it, this team could could absolutely beat Texas. They they really legitimately could at home. Um, I I certainly think Texas. You know, if that defense plays the way it did, has a lot of things to like. And again, they're going to want to probably 
err the opposite way in the run game of, of where they abandoned it in, in the last game. I think they'll they'll head to it. But um, it definitely is a game that Texas could lose. I don't think they will. But, it, I mean, it, it is not an easy win either. And, and I, again, the, the memes, I get it. But take those out and just look at the realistically, Kansas has been viewed as an easy out for a decade. That isn't the case anymore. And and I think the the – the bat, the conflicting forces in my mind are that like what Kansas really wants to do is put you in conflict for in the run versus the pass. And I think Texas has been so successful against the pass or against the run by not doing anything fancy that the, the conflict is minimized a little bit, right? Where Tavondre Sweat, Keandre Coburn, Baron Sorrell have done such a good job of shutting down teams running. You don't have to blitz. You don't have to do much to – you don't have to run blitz. You don't have to manufacture uh, those types of things. Those guys are just shutting down teams at the line. And so that allows your linebackers and your secondary to be a little bit more multiple and have less run responsibility. And the beautiful thing about defending the option is that it's just assignment football, right? That's the thing about the option. It's really easy to say that from the couch as guys who haven't played football uh, in a very long time. But, like, that's – Gerald, I, I will pause you and say I've played a couple – Black Friday uh, adult hamstring optional uh, games uh, for for players way past their prime, but taken equally seriously on the Samuel Clemens High School field. Uh, people know to show up there uh, on Friday morning after Thanksgiving. That's where it goes down. And even that has been a couple years, admittedly, uh, is, is we've hosted Thanksgiving here in Houston. But uh, it, it is more recent than you think, more embarrassing than you think, but also more <laughs> recent. But go on. It's easy to say that as the couch defensive coordinator, right? But Fair. again, what Texas, I think, has done better than they have in years past is play sound football, right? There have been a couple of blown coverages and a couple of blown matchups in the run game, but overwhelmingly, especially in the last couple of weeks, the defense has been sound. And I think that's what uh, really makes Again, I don't feel great about this because um, Jason Bean is a legitimate dual threat quarterback, right? Uh, he's completing 65% of his passes, averaging 137 a game, uh, 9.6 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns and four interceptions. Add to that 222 yards and four touchdowns. Jalen Daniels has been working his way back from an injury for the last five weeks. There are rumblings, and again, we won't know until they suit up on Saturday, but at least the uh, Kansas coaching staff wants people to think that Jalen Daniels will be available for the game on Sunday or on Saturday but in six games he was better than uh, Jason Bean has been for uh, completing 67% of his passes 178 yards per game 9.2 yards per attempt 11 touchdowns just one interception add to that 335 yards and five touchdowns combine that with Devin Neal who's on the cusp of a thousand yards with seven touchdowns he's averaging 6.7 yards per carry Daniel Highshaw guy Texas fans are very familiar with uh, coming up right behind him at 250 or not right behind him but coming up behind him with 259 yards but very effective in his limited number of carries 5.89 yards per carry and five touchdowns like the Kansas ground game is going to be the thing that I think Texas has to look out for obviously Kansas is going to try to run the ball again they're running a lot of triple option concepts out of the shotgun so again that adds an extra wrinkle to it um, but I think for me that is the matchup that for again, when we talk about the offense versus the defense, that's the matchup I'm going to watch. Is, is can Texas control the line of scrimmage? Can Texas play sound with their eyes, sound with their hands, and not bite on dumb stuff? Because that's really where the option um, 
creates its matchup and creates its wrinkles. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, because Kansas was such a darling, right? I don't know if I watched their first game or even their first two, but when the, the momentum started and, and the new Kansas memes of they're the best team in the Big 12 started, or, or in the country at one point, um, I, I watched quite a bit of, of Kansas. I probably watched four full Kansas games this year or the better part of four Kansas games this year. And I remember it was like three quarters in when I looked at their offense and said, they run the triple option. Like it just, it, it hit me and it was a little bit of a like, Oh, that's what they're doing. And, and people aren't, you know, and, and it's so genius, right? If you are a somewhat resource constrained offense, they do it in a, in a unique way out of the shotgun with some passing, you know, a lot more passing elements to it. But yeah, the way that they want to beat you is to run really well. And, um, Texas has been surprisingly good it's stopping mobile quarterbacks this year. They they have let some quarterbacks extend out of, you know, sacks and 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 make them show up in the stat sheet as pressures by kind of extending plays and, and evading um, you know, a, a bit. I, I do think, you know, Kansas will incorporate really easy kind of middle passing routes to their their arsenal. Um, we, we saw a TCU game where the the script was a little bit flipped. We saw a lot more blitzing from Texas than we've seen um, in in the past. And you wonder if you know the TCU Bama games had a kind of similar uh, feel to them in the way the defenses were called uh, and the way the defense performed. Honestly, um, down to the fact of giving up one big home run running play um, that may have been the difference. But uh, I, I wonder if this game reverts a little bit more to a don't get beat, don't you know, keep everything in front of you, read and react, fly to the ball uh, defense that we've seen, which again is some really good at some things and has some big vulnerabilities because they, they will run uh, with both their backs. They will run with, whatever quarterback they have out there, but they will also throw it and they will throw kind of some quick stuff. Uh, they have two receivers with, with over 30 catches, right? Two with over 20. Um, they, they will spread the ball around a bit. Uh, they get tight ends involved. You know, they, their, their receivers run um, good kind of sit down zone routes. Uh, they're, they're not necessarily taking a bunch of home run deep shots. Uh, they will mix it in a bit, but um, it's, it's kind of that, really dangerous thing for Texas in the passing game where they do just move the chains, kind of keep it high percentage, move the chains pass game, which that actually scares me as much, if not more than the running game. Cause we know if Texas reverts back to where it is, which is a, a team that really doesn't blitz a lot. They, they, they haven't. And if, you know, they can win with, with, uh, um, getting pressure with a front four, that's fantastic, but they haven't blitzed a, a lot, but it is to note that Kansas ranks sixth, in the country in sacks allowed. They've only allowed eight uh, in 10 games. So uh, Texas, who's been very good, has given up 12 in 10 games, right? So they're they're very good at, at not giving up sacks. Um, we shall see which defensive kind of philosophy shows up and, and uh, how they, they choose to attack it. Because like Gerald said, containment assignment football against a, a, a option thing works as long as everyone is in their spot and when you start blitzing you move people and change their assignments and it you know allows a guy to slip through it allows a chunk play it allows uh, if you the blitz doesn't get home for something else to be there so it'll be curious if they sit back and just think they have the talent to contain or if they go on the attack knowing that hey the offense needs a little help right now
that's going to be something to watch. And I think I'm curious to see if, if PK slides back into a more conservative plan because of what Kansas likes to do, or if he gets more aggressive and dials it up like he did with TCU. I think it's a very great point, but you know, Kansas, like you said, likes to spread the ball around. They've got four guys that have over 20 receptions uh, and more than four touchdowns, right? Like that is in, that's an insane, um, way to spread the ball around. I think it'll, it causes you to have to spread yourself relatively thin on the back end of the defense. And we know Texas doesn't really have that luxury right now. And so um, Kansas is a team that, again, has an opportunity. They're scoring 37 points per game, running up 7.3 yards per play. They're an offense that, in spite of, like, you hear triple option and you think of three yards in a cloud of dust, they are eating folks up, and they have really been successful with it. Now, that being said, Te- like athlete to athlete, Texas probably has the athletics advantage, but it's all about scheme. It's all about execution. And at least defensively, I feel relatively confident that Texas will have both of those things ready to go in a game that basically will determine. And we've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, but really after going one and two in like the, the must win stretch of games, like a, a win here can really stem the tide and a loss. The wheels really start to fall off. Yeah, I mean, Gerald, you made the prediction at the beginning of the year that the Baylor-Texas game could decide who goes to Arlington. And, and you know, though it's disappointing, we've had a little bit of time to marinate, uh, a little bit of time to become angrier at the punter for TCU, a little bit of time to digest that game a little bit. Um, and, and though we, of course, wish that that legendary defensive performance was given, you know, something to look at uh, while they were on the sidelines, Um the loss hurts. It does not eliminate everything that Texas was playing for. There is still a world where they can make a Big 12 championship if they win these last two and a couple things go their way. Um, you're right. It, it, it A loss in this one is almost more backbreaking, right? You lost to the number four team. You think you, you could have won it with that defensive performance, but it, it is more backbreaking to lose to this Kansas team that's been on a skid that started so hot and has kind of come back to earth. Um, that's, you know, been a little bit figured out from where they started when, you know, they were revolutionary. Now, <laughs> does that make me feel any better? Like coaches don't always reserve a little something new for the Texas game, sure. But I'm just saying it, it does feel like, you know, the odds would tell you that this should be a game that Texas should win. And so it will be, it will be even more of a heartbreaker if they lose this one, because then officially that goal is gone. Now they could win both of their games and that goal could still not happen, but an eight and four team, when you're looking, you know, at a bowl, um, you're going to be disappointed that you didn't make the big 12 championship because it was there for you, but you're also going to be happy. So to, to get to where they want to get to, they have to start with a win this week. And I think you're absolutely right. Like the, uh, a loss is very crushing. So hopefully the Texas defense can do the crushing rather than being crushed and keep the Longhorns alive in the race for Arlington. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 
Now, a product of being a run-first offense is that your defense uh, plays really, really good football uh, in a lot of ways. Kansas is a relatively... um, When you look at the statistics from uh, the surface level... They're giving up only 4.4 yards per carry. They've got 11 interceptions, uh, which is third in the conference. So, like, they've got a defense that can do some things. Then when you dive a little bit deeper, you see that, like, Iowa that that 4.4 yards per carry is floated by the fact that Iowa State only ran for 26 yards in that game like TCU OU Baylor Texas Tech all ran all over this Kansas defense for for the tune of 144 and two touchdowns OU 298 and five Baylor 273 and four Texas Tech just this last week 264 and four and again those are four uh those their last four losses teams got it going on the ground passing uh three of those interceptions came in that loss against Oklahoma State with their quarterback injury issues and quarterback issues in and of themselves so like there is some nuance to that conversation but again this is a game where Kansas can play some good defense and do some really good things and when you think about what Texas should do in this game. The old school folks are going to appreciate this, but like this really feeds like a feels like a pound the rock game, right? Like Pat handed off to Bijan, handed off to Roshan, maybe give Quinn something in the flats. Don't ask him to test it deep because Kobe Bryant is lurking back there. This is the game where I think Bijan and Roshan can hopefully have a ton of carries. Gerald, I think you should just spell out Kobe Bryant is C-O-B-E-E. His yes. name is pronounced Kobe Bryant. That is correct. But people may have thought that, that somehow Lance Leopold's been flying under the radar with a reincarnation of Kobe somehow finding eligibility. Angels in, in the backfield. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yes. Uh, I I didn't mean to cut you off. I think you, what you were saying, and I agree with it, if it's where I think you're going, is that pound the rock, right? Like, this is the game. Pound the rock. Don't don't put it on Quinn. Let him throw it when it's, you know, when it's easy. Pound the rock. Absolutely, right? Again, and Bijan needs to have more than 12 touches. Roshan needs to have more than 10 or 15 touches, right? This is a game that when push comes to shove, like, pound the freaking rock, like, Texas Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma, 48, 57, 57 uh, in the carries department. It's like pound the stinking rock. Like that is that is the strategy, I think, for Texas. Uh, and that eliminates probably Kansas's biggest advantage, which is creating and, and creating turnovers and great turnover luck, right? 11 interceptions is a big, big number. They've got 22 sacks on the year, with the, like minimizing what Kansas wants to do defensively by putting the ball in your best player's hands. We probably only have two regular season games left with him. So like beating, feeding Bijan, getting him back into rhythm, getting him back where he needs to be for these last two games can start on Saturday against a defense that's given up some numbers in the last five weeks. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. When you say they have 11 interceptions, three of those are Kobe Bryant, who, who has a return for a touchdown as well. Um, and then then two are, are Kenny Logan's uh, – Log, Kenny Logan. Uh, sorry, I had Kenny Logan's on the brain there. But uh, fantastically named uh, defensive backfield, if nothing else. This, is, of course, is the team that produced Hassan defense a few years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean – it. If, if you don't have to open that up, don't do it. That, that, that's fine. The 22 sacks, like you said, is good. Lonnie Phelps is, is, is good. You know, he's a, one of those good big 12 defensive ends. He's probably not, you know, going to play on Sundays, but he's going to be a real good college player. And, and, you know, let's just not, after TCU had a really great defensive front performance against Texas, let's not open that up. Um, 
this is a defense that is is led. Logan also leads the tackle the team with 80 tackles. They get 75 from a linebacker, and then there's a big drop off, right? They, they they are led with kind of their their spine, right? They have a, a decent defensive line, uh, some decent linebackers, and and a good safety and and secondary. I wonder because they they used to run a three three five. They've gone to a four man front, um, and t- we've seen a lot of teams kind of have success with that. Iowa State, Arkansas to some extent, right? Like a defensive front of three down, three high, um, where they they can you know get up in in Texas's subpar run blocking offensive line with guys flying downhill towards the ball. Oh, you tried it with way less success. Um, but that, that has given, especially yours, some trouble um, as, as teams have run that. So I wonder if Kansas will fold any of that into their defense or if they just kind of stick with, with the one that's brung, brung them. But um, I think the biggest thing to be watching here is if you look at how bad t- Texas was on third down against TCU, right? One conversion, one for 13, I believe. Um, it was not good. Um, but their third downs, their third downs were brutal. Third and seven, third and 10, third and seven, third and 15, third and 19, third and 10, third and 13. I'm just reading down a list. Third and 10, third and 11, third and goal from the four. Uh, yikes. Uh, third and one. They converted that one. That's the one. They got it. Bijan ran it. Third and one. That's the one they got. Third and 10, third and 17. They got one in that list. If you heard, if you heard, most of those were double digits. One, four, seven, ten, eleven. Um, out of the thirteen, nine of them were double digits. Two were uh, longer than seven. Two were less than five. Right? They converted one of those two. The other was on the goal line. Like <laughs> eleven out of their thirteen was seven or more. Nine out of their thirteen were double digits. That's tough. That's tough for any offense, even when you're firing well. That's tough. So Texas, if they're going to pound the rock, they have to commit to it. They have to say, we're going to run on first down. And that might mean that occasionally they get stopped, but they're going to say, you know what? We're going to run on second down. And that might mean that they have a third and six, but you know what? They might look to pass. They're going to have an RPO. They're going to have an option, but they very likely should run again because what we've seen from this Kansas defense is that they will break. They they can't hold up, as you've seen in their past few weeks, basically, is, you know, the, the even when they were winning, they were opportunistic on defense, not elite on defense, but really as teams kind of figured out how to attack them, Tech is not a running team, but they just put up, you know, 250 plus uh, because that's how you beat this team. So they have to commit to it. Bijan getting 12 touches was a travesty. He came off a week where he had 30 touches. Does he get 30 again? I don't know. I kind of hope not. Let's split it. Get him Get him 25, right? Give Roshan 12. Like, you know, give give 20 to Bijan, 12 to Roshan. Uh, let Jonathan Brooks get three or four. You know, I don't know. Use your guys however you need to, but pound the rock. If I had to ask you what the similarity were between probably the two most frustrating losses of the year in my mind, two of the three, right? Uh, Texas Tech and TCU. What are the similarities there? Uh, that that we could have won both of those games and they're both uh, terrible fan bases who talk more trash than their their uh, their paychecks or their their history of winning would dictate also Bijan was under 20 carries in both those games yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> that too yeah, uh, yeah. yeah 16, 16 carries against tech 12 against TCU like those are things that can't and both of those games had a similar thing where Texas kind of abandoned the run because they just couldn't figure it out between the tackles like that to me again when we think about Texas matching up with this with this um, Kansas defense that's what I want to see because that to me again 
they are a, they are a sack heavy. They are an interception heavy team. Like keep put the ball in Bijan's hands, and even if you need to pass on third and six, like maybe Quinn will connect with him on a wheel route for a touchdown. I don't know. Maybe just maybe a girl can dream, right? Special teams is negligible in this one, right? Like they don't they they're a very like fair catch punt team. They return just three punts on the year. <laughs> Reese Vernon is averaging about forty yards per punt, which is good. Uh, Logan uh, Kenny Kenny Logan, who we mentioned, uh, is leading the team in tackle and has uh, two interceptions on the year is also their primary punt return kick returner uh, who's averaging about 20 21 per kick return they've got a 57.8 touchback percentage so like that to me uh, is an opportunity for texas because again if they kick it um in the field of play and Texas can create something there against special teams. If the offense is struggling, special teams and defense is going to have to spark something. So that right there is an opportunity for Texas to, to try to try to get something going. Gerald, are you taking this uh, opportunity to walk back your, your Jeff Banks slander from uh, your immediate post game reaction uh, against TCU? I know you didn't like necessarily that call on coming for the, the punt that was called for, for roughing, but are you willing to say that Texas special teams has been really good pretty much the entire year? They have been, and and I recanted that in the two in the recap show. Like I was very okay, much just, like just making sure in the flow of the game, it didn't make sense. But like yeah. as I and especially because of the result right of that play, I was extra frustrated. So it was hard for me to process through it logically. But when you take into account the fact that the offense was absolutely just non-existent, trying to get something on special teams, trying to get a cheap one, and Demarvin Overshone took the exact right angle. Jeff Banks dialed mm-hmm. it up perfectly. The punter just landed on top of him like. I know Steph Curry in the in the NBA Finals, right? Like that's really what it was. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like I'm I'm totally fine with it. the special teams has been great for Texas, yeah. and I think again there's an opportunity there. Um, Keelan Robinson could spark one. He did that in the game against against TCU, and I think there's an opportunity there. That's what I was going to say. Is is I, I agree with you. I also just to, to finish on your point, I saw multiple punters or former punters online all like you know usually it's it's the brotherhood I, I believe pat mac or the brand pat mcafee you know punters protect punters but pretty much universally everyone was like no 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 that's not form that's not correct people who are trying to defend it no that's absolutely he was flopping trying to get that call that's bush league like pretty much every punter came out against that punter which is nice to see um but um but yeah uh jeff makes continues to, to to try to rack up bonuses i think i don't know the, the, the man is is doing things um but he's <laughs> he's been phenomenal and so if this is not the week right they have a punter who like you said 40 yards he's he's not booming the ball um so they may not in in, in Terrell, i don't know did you see the weather by the way uh, oh it's high of 37 low of 16 not. on saturday 15 mile per hour wind so yeah it's gonna Fun. be it's it's football guy weather um it's gonna be miserable um which again leads to pound the rock also you know punts low punts are great and both these punters don't really have the the booming leg where they put it 30 40 yards up in the air um so you probably won't have a ton of punt return chance kick returns probably will die a little bit to the chance where you should be able to return those so i'm wondering you know do they do they sell out again to try to block a punt um knowing that uh they probably won't flip the field the way that some punters will um i don't know Will they scheme some things up for a really big return? Keelan almost took one to the house, really set them up for what should have been a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then they didn't 
obviously scored turnover on downs, but that was a potential momentum game changer. I think there's going to be something. I don't know if it's an onside kick. Hopefully you don't have to come to that. Um, But I feel like Banks is going to have something schemed up for this one just in case because we've seen games where the offense and defense didn't play and special teams saved our bacon. We saw where the offense didn't play and special teams and defense played last week. So I think the comment here has been we play, we put a lot of priority starters play all over the place on the special teams being good. And I think though Kansas is not exceptional or special, I think Texas has the chance to be, and that is a chance to be truly uh, a difference maker. I just hope, um, you know, the hands team is ready in case Leipold, they've only done one onside kick, but in case they, he, he pulls something out, you know, like got to be ready there. Just don't lose a game on special teams and if you make any you know great plays that's that's bonus because they're so good at covering punts and kicks uh this year uh and really the past two years that i think they're going to win the the special teams battle just on that but you know nothing stupid if you make a big play on top of that that's even better kyle i think your predictions about special teams lead us to everybody's favorite part of the show pod stradamus so as it stands right now with two games left we are tied 12 to 12. So the every pick counts right now, Kyle. What is your first Podstradamus pick of the week? So, Gerald, I talked about how Texas was bad on, on third downs, and I, I think I talked about in our, our recap show, six, six of the eight runs on first down went for less than three yards, and we know they're going to pound the rock. Like, they have to. Even if they start off bad, they got to stick to it. And I think they're going to have some some, you know, Third and, and five, third and two, third and three. They're gonna they're gonna convert some this week on the season. On the season, they are not great. Thirty seven point eight percent. Texas, I'm talking about thirty seven point eight percent on on third down conversions. I'm not gonna take the easy way out and say they'll get forty. They're gonna go uh, forty five, uh, forty three percent or better uh, third downs. Uh, the Texas offense. I think they're gonna move chains this week. They're gonna have you know some some long longer drives where they're running the ball, they're, they're pushing it down the field. Maybe Bijan breaks them all, and they go for 60-yard touchdowns, and that doesn't help me. But maybe he just gets 12 yards in a first down, and I'll take that. So I think third downs, they're going to be efficient. Um, I want to go as high as 50, but I'm you know like Gerald said, we're, we're playing for points at this point. So 43% uh, or better for the Texas Longhorn offense, besting their season average. You heard that, everybody. Kyle cares more about points than making accurate predictions. You heard it here first. No, if, uh, if our dang offense cared more about points, Gerald, maybe we win some more games. <laughs> that was nice. That was good. That was good. <laughs> so I am going Bijan Robinson, more than 20 carries in this game. Winning success, winning formula for Texas. Bijan getting more than 20. Honestly, probably Bijan getting more than 25 or 30. But again, I'm going to play it a little bit more conservative in this one uh, because I legitimately have a chance to win Potsdamus for the first time since we started doing it. So, Bijan, 20 carries in this game. Pound the stinking rock. Keep it old school. Keep it, uh, keep it, make Daryl Royal proud of you. Just, just three things can happen when you pass the ball against Kansas. The two of them are bad. Pound the rock. Here's my hope, Gerald. Bijan gets 19 carries. They convert eight third downs with, with little passes to Jordan Whittington. Like I just, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm kidding. I want you I'll to drive do- to Houston and fight you. I'll be closer. <laughs> I want, I want this to work for both of us. It's a great thing. If we both go from 12 to 14 this week by hitting both of us. And with that, I'm going to give you my others. Now you're going to hear this and say, wait a minute and rewind your podcast and go back to a bit ago where I said, Kansas ranks sixth in the country in sacks allowed. They've only given up eight in 10 games. That's even better than Texas. Who's been great. See, I saved you having to go back and, and rewind it. 
it. Um, yeah, sure. Texas or Kansas is not giving up a bunch of sacks. Texas, they're already past where they were last year. They had 20 all of last season. They're at 24 this year. They're getting more tackles for they have more tackles for loss than they did last year. They're going to get pressure. Um, Baron Sorrell had a coming out party. The, the, the interior defense has been great. Kansas has a good offensive line, not, you know, in, in otherworldly offensive line. Um, whether they're bringing pressure with the occasional linebacker blitz or really our front four can just beat their man and, and get in the backfield, we shall see. But I think Texas will have more than two sacks. Let me remind you that it will be uh, basically – 20% of the entirety uh, accounted for on the season against Kansas. So I'm going big here. Two sacks. Um, put myself out there on this one. Proud of you, Kyle. Proud of you. Two sacks. That's usually my go-to, but I'll, I'll allow you to have it. So Keep your heart. Two sacks. Keep your heart. <laughs> nice. So I think when the offense struggles, the rest of the team has to step up. And, and sacks is going to be one of mine. And, and if, you, if I don't edit this right, you'll hear my outtakes from <laughs> talking about sacks. But um, really, I think... If Kyle hadn't stole, stolen the sacks, this is probably the other way he would have gone. Um, I think Texas is going to have a explosive. I'm going to call it an explosive special teams play, right? Uh, and and that qualifies as a as a what? How do we want to call it? like I, quantifying it? Like a, a twenty-ish yard return, like twenty or more yard return. We you had you had a number it's, a few it's, weeks it's ago. It's more than twenty. Okay, I, I did it for Kansas State because I was so confident, and that obviously came back. To bite me. I think what we have to do is the inverse of that. It's a kick return of greater than 30 yards. I don't remember what I said the punt return. You, said, Let's, you, had, you had a punt at 12 and a kick return at 25. Yeah, and that was too easy. I lost that one. So let's say <laughs> 28 on a kick. I'll give you 28 on a kick return and 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 13 on a, on a punt. That's what I'm willing to do. I'll beat you at 27. 27 kick. Tw- I'll, I'll stick Tw- with the 13 tw- punt. 27 and a half. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, perfect. All right. So <laughs> Texas has, has has at least an explosive punt and an explosive kick return in this game. Good negotiating with you. Gerald, I'm going to do our own stat boy here. I actually meant to say this during the the uh, Kansas defense section. This is this is my stat of the game. It's it's not in Potsdamus, but I was going to try to work it in and I couldn't. Um, I just I missed it in our defensive and I don't want this to not be heard on the podcast. Clear uh, sit up straight and listen here folks. Um, this is wild. So all season we've talked about and Sark's talked about it in pressers and we've lamented about it for sure. Um, Texas has not had the ability to jump on loose ball fumbles. Um, we saw Kansas State be good at that and, and us not. We talked about so this has been a, a recurring thing. Texas has forced nine fumbles, only recovered four. There's been other balls put on the ground that they didn't force by, you know, like just the team dropping it that they didn't get. Only four fumble recoveries with double digits, let's say, available. The wildest stat, maybe in college football this year, Kansas has forced four turnovers and somehow recovered eight. Like it, it's 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 not very likely. It's it's you don't see that where a team has more recoveries than fumbles forced. Um, but they doubled it. They've recovered eight to 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 forcing four. So again, they're the inverse of Texas. There. Um, I, I, again, take that for what you will. I don't think it means that Texas is going to lose on a fumble. God, I hope not. I'm knocking on wood now. But just it's something to watch. If a ball goes on the ground. Who gets it? Because I think we talked about it in the Kansas State preview or, or, or recap one or the other. Um, those kids from Kansas, right? Like they may not be as talented, but it's that heart and it's terrible, awful weather. And is it the 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 three star kid from you know from Topeka 
I'm just trying to go deep in my knowledge here of Kansas, who's willing to dive down in the cold 20-degree soil and recover a football versus the five-star kid, right? Like, it's just something to, to watch um, uh, on kind of this game is, is loose balls, who's getting on them. Who's going to get on Tech Again, I, I will never forget and get over the trauma of that Kansas State game, but it's fine. It's okay. We'll move. So we'll be back. I say we'll. Kyle will be back on Saturday. I will be in transit, hanging out with my folks for the week for the, the Thanksgiving holiday, so I will have just arrived, and I'm not going to be like, hey, I got to go live stream real quick. <laughs> uh, but Kyle will be back with a special guest on Saturday uh, recapping the game, and we'll be back, obviously, in your podcast feeds on Tuesday. All right, Gerald, let's take a look. At the world through burnt orange lenses, and there's a lot this week. I mean, legitimately a lot to talk about. So I'm I'm going to try to power us through this. I know I can be long-winded. Um, let's talk about what happened in college football around the country, Big 12. Uh, West Virginia over OU, 23-20. to 20. That was an eye-opener. Oak, Oak, yeah, Okie State got back off the, uh, the losing streak, beating Iowa State. Those poor, poor, cursed wretches, 20-14. to 14. Kansas State uh, beating Baylor thirty-one to three. Um, Gerald, what, what, which of those, or, or all of those, what, what do you have to say about the Big Twelve football this week? I mean, I'm hurt. My feelings are hurt. By no, I'm just joking. Um, I think for me, the biggest result is that like OU lost again, which feels great, right? Five mm-hmm. and seven, five and seven, not a bowl is very much on the table for them. Uh, this is a weird bedlam year, so these things could get spicy and dicey very, very quickly. Um, <laughs> Kansas State absolutely just demolished Baylor, which um, Baylor will be up and different for that Black Friday game. But um, there's a there's a very much a winning formula against Baylor and Kansas State, uh, and Texas can do similar things in that front. Um, Texas needs Kansas State to lose one, which makes puts me in a weird position. Yeah. Wasn't cheering for Baylor. I feel fine cheering for West Virginia. Like, oh, yeah. I like those guys. I feel good about cheering for West Virginia, and honestly. Nothing would be better and bring more joy to my heart than Kansas knocking off Kansas State to propel Texas to the uh, Big 12 championship games. Like if that's how it turns out, I, we will have Andy. We will have Andy Mitts on the podcast, and we'll do a little celebration. I love that. Uh, West Virginia, though their fans love horns down uh, as much as they love pepperoni rolls. Um, they are <laughs> they are like my least hated like i just i I can't muster up hate i think it's because it's the smoking musket guys are are good and like i had a boss back and i started my career who's from west virginia and she was super sweet like they're just kind of decent people it seems and so yeah i just i don't have the hate even like uh the uh will greer and, and and clint trickett and all these you know these guys that they've had like they're not hateable uh like yeah I, I love dana like yeah i just I, i'm honestly okay so yes i will be rooting very hard uh for west virginia and then you know certainly for kansas in in the last week uh, one of those needs to get k-state sec um bama wins on a last second defensive play 30 24 over Ole miss Oof, uh it's if they would have lost three in regulation and almost lost to texas like with that fan base, man. Uh, LSU beat Arkansas just barely, 13-10, um, securing their place in the SEC championship game, which is interesting, Vandy. Uh, 24-21 uh, over Kentucky, which is their first win, Gerald, you said, since 2019 in conference in the SEC, which is a big deal. Also, a bad thing happened to a Stoops, which feels great, right? Like, never never upset when something bad happens to a Stoops. I actually like Kentucky. Um, I, I don't know why I've always had an affinity for Kentucky football specifically. Um, but, like, 
the the Bama thing is weird. Um, it's a bad Bama year, come to find out. So uh, hopefully next year is not a good Bama year because Texas has to go to Tuscaloosa. But we'll deal with that when we come to it. But Kyle, the biggest SEC result. Like let's, yeah. not, let's not tease it. Let's let's yeah. just not tease it. Here it is. Um, the caddy. Yeah. A&M got ran over by a caddy. Uh, Texas fans, you know, know they love a Lincoln, but I think we were all uh, fans, no matter what the Ministry of Culture says, we should buy of Cadillac last week. Um, who boy. <laughs> Cadillac Williams continued where he left off in college and just ran all over uh, the Aggies. Just beautiful. Aggies are absolutely, at this point, guaranteed a losing season, will not make a bowl. They will be looking up in the standings at Rice, North Texas, and others when you rank the best teams in, in Texas. They're like sixth, seventh best uh, at this point. I think UTEP uh, is right there. Like it's, it's um, I'd have to dig into how Tarleton and Stephen F. Austin, I don't know. It's just great how bad they are right now. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't happen to a, a more deserving team. Can you imagine? They're, they're going to get a win this weekend because they're playing UMass. But, oh. can you, but can you imagine Aggie going four and eight and losing six straight after giving Texas hell all offseason for five and seven and six straight? Like, if you think I'm petty now, <laughs> let that happen. Here's here's the thing, right? Like UMass is 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 bad, right? Like UMass is. I, I've heard a couple of different um, college football analytics and podcasts, like basically take a, a a look at it. And there's a couple teams in in the running for it, but they are likely, like pretty likely, the worst team in college football this year. Like pretty likely, there is no one even you know remotely as bad as, as UMass. Like that that is known. They're one and nine. Their one win was, you know, a twenty to three win over Stony Brook, who's like FDS. Um, they're down there, but um, yeah. So, can you imagine a world, Gerald, where A and M actually loses to UMass? I think that is the thing that would happen that they would fire Jimbo. Like, if he lost to UMass next week, I think they would fire Jimbo. Like, he wouldn't make it back to the to the field house like if they lose to umass i i am concerned on what's going to happen on that campus like something will be set on fire yeah or some things yeah i i do think what's honestly more likely and more maybe even more hilarious is jimbo's going to win by like 60 because again umass is is like the is the 530th best team in the country there's many fcs teams that are much better than them um so they're going to stomp them by 60 points and then aggie fans are going to get real excited it's like well we can still spoil lsu season because see we're good when jimbo's plays when he finds the right play and all his binders and notes uh when he gets the good ones then then we're good like it's going to build the hope up like that's kind of what i hope is that they just demolish them beat them 70 to nothing whatever it is uh and then you know get enough hope for for an lsu letdown and of course they're already missing a bowl but after everyone's so angry like watching win by 60 and then just watching it flip completely um because remember after app state they were like ready to commit uh seppuku and then um now you know like immediately after they they beat uh miami and they're like that's a ranked win baby we're back it's just the team is the the fan base but anyways we don't need to spend the whole time talking about that a couple other games i wanted to point out uh number 25 washington beat what was a trendy playoff pick in oregon if you missed that was number six a lot of people said well they could if they win the pac 12 they beat usc they're into the playoff that's done now uh ucla number 12 another pac 12 trendy pick falls to arizona looks like it's usc or bust out there um mac squeaks out another win 36 to 34 over wake forest and he improves to nine and one what do you what do you you think about mac brown there gerald 
I don't know what to make of it. The defense is not good. His defensive coordinator, you probably recognize his name. Um, but <laughs> I, they're winning, right? Gift horses. Don't look at gift horse in the mouth, Kyle. I would take really ugly wins, like nine of them. You know, like they have they have not looked like the best team at all this year, but they are nine and one. I would take that in a heartbeat. Um, and then uh, UConn uh, won to get bowl eligible. Just wanted to point that out. They did happen to beat Liberty, which everyone in America is happy about. But, um, yeah, just wanted to congratulate UConn, not specifically to talk about how awful Liberty is um, with, with Baylor and Hugh Freeze uh, coming together to form a, a triumvirate of evil. But, um, yeah, really wanted to shout out UConn specifically was what I wanted to talk about, not the other side. But, anyway, Sarah, let's talk about Longhorns in the NFL. Do you have a pick? for your Longhorn of the week? Uh, I think my Longhorn of the week is probably, and you're going to be upset at me for taking this, but I think you and I may agree, Colt McCoy got a dub. Yeah. Right? Like, how how how, how can we not talk about Colt McCoy getting that dub? Man, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, really excited for Colt. Uh, we, we do have, like, a consistent fantasy-relevant 100-yard every week running back, and, and Deontay Foreman, 31 carries, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Hard not to like that. Um, Marquise uh, Goodwin getting a, a touchdown catch in, in the Munich game and then tweeting in German and, uh, and, and like just doing a really cool Instagram photo dump of his time in Germany was pretty cool, admittedly. Very cool thing. Um, uh, liked it. Uh, Dicker didn't hit a game winner, so even though he went 3-for-3, three three, he's not mine. Ooh, that's tough, man. I think I think I'm giving it to the young defensive lineman. We know there's been um kind of this this class that was on some some you know tough teams. Maybe they got the Sugar Bowl in there, but, but some teams that didn't do what they wanted to on campus. But there's a couple guys from that uh, Taquan Graham uh, most recently, Malcolm Roach and, and Chuck Amena who all showed out and who've all honestly had really good seasons. Just wanted to give them a little bit of shine. Chuck had another sack. Three quarterback hurries, pass deflection, force fumble, like just filling up the stat sheet. Malcolm Roach, seven tackles, five solo, one sack, one TFL quarterback hurry. He was in the backfield for the Saints. Like, love that for that guy. And then Taquan Graham just continues to be a really, really good NFL lineman for the Falcons. Six tackles, one tackle for loss. So just I'll, – I'll, I'll lump them all together. Puna did what he did and had a couple tackles as well in that group. But uh, just wanted to shout those guys, and especially Roach, who's uh, – that's probably his best game of his career. So I wanted to shout them out. It's hard not to be upset about that. You mentioned Foreman. He had a great game. Maybe maybe um, Christian McCaffrey was what needed to change in <laughs> Carolina. Who knows? I love it. Uh, golf has had a big week, Gerald, starting with Jordan Spieth as a guest picker. Like, I don't know how many – colleges are as associated with a golfer right like we watch college golf but then when a a pro really makes it you kind of sometimes forget where they went to college they become this other thing but speed is very tied to the university of texas I, I again probably without a doubt the first golfer to be a guest picker in in uh game day history but very cool and then it just kept going men's golf secured a transfer from uh oklahoma state all-american brian stark who didn't compete in the fall so he's immediately eligible in the spring, which is like very cool. I, I, we were worried a little bit about where the depth was going to be for the spring season, and it looks like they've uh, they've added some of that. Yeah, they definitely seem to solve that problem. It was big. Um, he's joined by top 10 recruit Tommy Morrison, who's an early enrollee. Um, men's golf has shored itself up pretty quickly, uh, gone from we have some questions to where we could be excited. And again, we've talked about it in this podcast, but if you're not familiar with Tommy Morrison, get ready to have a new favorite Longhorn on campus. Like He's still growing. He's 6'11", like he could easily hit seven foot feet 
while he's on the tallest player of any sport on campus, and he's a golfer. Which what kind just, of post moves does he have? Yeah, honestly, or, or yeah, it's it's very he's 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 a good golfer, and he's just a gargantuan. The photos are never not funny. Like him in the recruiting class looks like he took his his kids out to golf. Um, but uh, Travis Vick also had himself a, a week. He went. He did two uh, professional events. Um, the Mayakoba, which is a beautiful course, uh, my wife and I uh, like didn't play it. We we just kind of walked and looked at it because it was near the resort when we went there. It's gorgeous, and and Vic may have been watching the course because he had a stinker. Like he looked bad, and it's like, man, what's wrong with Travis Vic? Then he came home, came to Houston, um, and was the low amateur because he was the only amateur in the field. But he made the cut. He was tied twelfth after an opening round, sixty eight, like twelfth with all professionals. Um making the cut is no small feat. Finished thirty ninth again in a field of all professionals. I think it was really good mojo for him heading into the kind of holidays before the uh the spring season. So that everything about where golf is heading I feel better about. And then just Cole Hammer uh also at that Houston Open uh five under sixty five uh on the final day to to make the his first cut as a pro and then Scotty Scheffler, man, in that Houston open, uh, like I thought he might get it. If he would have won this, he would have retaken the world's number one. He's still sitting in number two with a second place finish, but man, those points are getting real close. Rory's, uh, McElroy's getting nervous. Keep it rolling. We had signing day, early signing day for all non-football sports. This wasn't full signing day, but the majority classes did sign. They can still sign, um, in, in the kind of whatever, late regular, whatever the other signing day is. But a lot of people signed across all the sports. Baseball, in fact, signed eight a big class baseball we know is the hardest because some people go pro and it's hard to rank but perfect games number eight class softball had the number four rated class signed six including the number five number nine number 11 and number 12 players that's uh katie henry katie stewart tegan caven and victoria hunter um women's uh swimming signed what uh the coach uh came out and said this is the number one class in the nation love that uh it's harder to get swimming rankings um men's <laughs> swimming and diving had a top three class uh, both according to kind of swim swam is, is my go-to there but um swim, good swim, Yep, that's the one. Good classes all around. Volleyball signed a five-person class. Uh, the Jerry at Elliott seemed really excited about with three early enrollees, including um, the the top middle blocker in the class. Texas has been good at a lot of things for a lot of years, but they always seem to have like a really multi-dimensional middle blocker. You know to to be an all-american and to set the tone and to be an extra hitter and a great blocker and just kind of do it all the recruiting for texas and the volleyball lack of fall off has been really impressive from coach elliott um hard to be upset by it again the the middle of the the texas defense has always kind of been its advantage and so i'm excited to see them continue that yeah and and you know we've seen elliott be a real portal all-star as well not quite i don't know if he's quite the portal pirate that chris beard got the title um he's at least a first mate yeah, absolutely. I like it. I like it. Uh, he's he's a, uh, a yeah a, a portal buccaneer for now. Looking at that pirate uh, status. Um, so men's basketball just signed Ron Holland was the only signing, but not just. He's an incredible recruit. Five windmills for everybody. Best player in Texas. But again, there may be some more in late signing. Also, maybe looking at the portal there. Women's basketball signed the number ten class. And it's an interesting class because Madison Booker is the number twelve player, top player in the state of Mississippi. Um, Gisela Mall, who's a legend. If you're in Central Texas, you surely know her um, from Cedar Park. Ninety-seven and five record in high school, back-to-back five A state titles. Um, just unbelievable um and then abby uh your girl abby boutier who who is six foot nine 
is a development prospect. Like just having that size again, she's taller than all the men's uh, team. Dylan Dessou, I think, is also six nine. Um, having that size, she will grow into it. You could have called her a top fifty player based on the size alone, but uh, she didn't get the ranking just because again she's still growing into that body but could end up being the steal out of that class which is really deep Texas is getting more athletic in the post and so someone who's not played at that size uh but will get to that size is going to be incredible to see and i'm excited for coach schaefer uh to have that opportunity yeah if big stick with vic for a couple years they've had really good luck right like just get in this program let him build you up and all the way from mississippi state through he's 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 had four-year bigs who really came on late in their career soccer side a small class probably an eye towards the portal highlighted by the number 11 forward avery clark men's tennis signed one but it's a good one lucas brown's the top ranked player in the state of texas number six rated player nationally throughout his juniors career he's earned a total of 19 usta national balls including eight gold um nine silver uh, he's also earned the number one USTA national ranking in every age division from 12 to 18. So he's currently ranked six, but he has been number one uh, in this age as well. So 12 to 18, he's been number one. He's a guy who, who tennis uh, heads have been excited about where he was going to go to school for a few years. He's out of Plano, so of course he comes to Texas. He could be the guy who, uh, who, who competes for an individual national champion the way we saw Peyton Stern do for the women's team. Uh, men's golf signed the number 10 class. We mentioned Tommy Morrison uh, before, also joined by Jack Gilbert and Ben De La Rosa. Women's golf signs the number three class, which I love to see. Uh, number 13, Selena Lau from Taiwan. Number 20, Lauren Kim. Number 25, Farah O'Keefe. And that's it, Gerald. That's uh, a lot to go through. Hopefully those are names we're all more familiar with when they spend four years on campus and bring, uh, let's see, how many sports was that? Let's call it conservatively 14 national championships between that group. Um, <laughs> yeah, feels about right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, one other bit of soccer news. Um, soccer adds Auburn transfer Hana. I believe you pronounce this Wash, 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 W-A-E-S-C-H, Wash, Wash, uh, to the program. A three-year starter for Auburn as uh, a holding mid- midfielder, 53 career starts there. Um, Gerald, she's someone who the team will be familiar with from the DFW era. She comes from uh, the, the club, which used to be coached uh, by Lexi Missimo's dad, Derek, um, and the Solar SC, which is Trinity Buyers Club, Lexi Missima. Basically, Texas rise in soccer has been tied to getting a lot of these girls. So um, excited to bring one more of those who was a captain back in her day of that team at the youth level. I mean, I think, like we said, I think we've we, we've said this before. We're st- starting to see what like end state or not end state, but like Texas uh, level uh, recruiting is in soccer. So getting you know the number twenty six player in the country who has represented um, the the nation at the U18 level. Like, that's the kind of uh, athlete that you want to see recruited in Texas, and we should see recruited in Texas with the, the cachet that Texas has. Absolutely. Just want to give a little shine to uh, Micah Braswell, who won the men's pro tennis open in Austin, his first pro title um, at the USTA Pro Circuit ITF 25K event. He only dropped one in his five sets, and I believe the semifinals he beat 
Christian Sisgard, former Longhorn, now professional. Um, and then, Gerald, this one is just exciting. I can't believe it took this long, but I guess she just kept playing. Uh, Kat Osterman <laughs> finally inducted into the National Softball Hall of Fame. This was a really, really cool, and I was excited to see this. I mean, when you talk about most dominant athletes at the University of Texas, the most internationally decorated athletes at the University of Texas, like, Kat Osterman has to be in the conversation. If not, like, it's like her and, like, Ryan Krauser are probably, like, the two that, that like, spring to mind is like um, the ones that people probably wouldn't enter into the conversation because they didn't play football or basketball. Mm-hmm. But like those are the two, like if you're thinking of people that re- that represent te- Texas, like both really well in college and like internationally, like Kat Osterman and Ryan Krauser are like one and one A. And so seeing, seeing her finally get this um, award is, is well-deserved and a really long time coming. Yeah, she had a great pro career. She was drafted number one. She won the original Athletes Unlimited is when they did that scoring, and it went to each player could win, and she won that initial league. Um, came, she won gold, was the youngest player in that team. Uh, in 04, came out of retirement uh, when uh, softball was gone for a while, came back uh, and took them to silver. Like, just she's done it all. I mean, you know in college she was – unbelievable just unbelievable a a four-time all-american two-time sb winner which is just so cool um a 0.51 career era almost 2500 career strikeouts um she threw i don't know how many perfect games uh, seven perfect games 20 no hitters just like a beast an absolute monster whatever the equivalent, you know, of, of Michael Jordan or whoever you want to put up in their respective sport, Kat Osterman is that for softball, just uh, a monster. And she deserves all the credit, and hopefully younger generations still know uh, the name Kat Osterman, who's an all-time Longhorn legend. And Gerald, I'll close it out with some awards, women's basketball, Rory Harmon and Shaylee Gonzalez were both named to the wooden uh, watch list on the women's side. And then on the men's side, you had... Um, uh, Hunter and Timmy Allen. Um, so excited for both of those guys. One returning, one new, and Tyrese Hunter. Um, so f- two for both the men and women. I think is is a, is a good uh, a good look for the basketball team. They just need to now live up to it. Either of those players could could win the wooden legitimately. Um, on the ladies' side, I think it'll be a, a more of an uphill climb for the men. Um, but Julie Shimkin definitely definitely deserves her uh, her flowers for that one. That's right, for the uh, uh, National uh, Team of the Week top drawer soccer. Gerald, let's close this thing out. Godzilla Tron, what are you going to watch on your giant screen? Uh, so two major things that I, I'd want to talk about. One, uh, if you're not aware, last week, Kevin Conroy, who if you don't know who Kevin Conroy is, Kevin Conroy uh, was the voice of Batman on Batman the Animated Series. He was be- he's been the voice uh, for Batman and basically any video Batman video game they've done. If you played the Arkham games, he was the voice there. He's basically been Batman since the 90s um he passed away over over uh, last week and many have argued and I, I would be one of them that he has some of the best portrayals of batman especially my one of my all-time favorites mask of the phantasm it's an animated movie set in like that batman animated series uh universe but like some of the some of the scenes where he's like he goes to the graveyard and is like weeping and like begging his parents to forgive him because like he finally is happy he's finally found love and he's like i don't feel like i need to to do this anymore the hole in my life has been filled like kevin conroy did some acting right um he was like a classically trained theater actor and just did that to make some bucks between um gigs 
leagues and ended up turning it into a, a, a three decade plus career. Um, so for a lot of us, he is like Batman. And so I, I rewatched some of that, especially Mask of the Phantasm uh, this last week. Still holds up, still incredible. If you haven't seen it, it's so stinking good. And then uh, my wife and I, for date night this last week, she talked me into going to see this new movie. Uh, no, we went and saw Wakanda forever. Um, and I won't spoil it because it's only been out like a week at this point. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And I really, again, uh, the themes that Coogler always teases out of these movies um, are really interesting. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things that they did, um, it was it was very clearly like, they, you know, Chadwick Boseman passed away you know, a couple years back, and so they had to kind of um, fit that into the narrative of a Black Panther story. And so it was a very it was it was led by the the female cast members, and they did an incredible job. Angela Bassett should absolutely get some sort of Academy Award nominations here. Um, she just absolutely crushed it. But um, there's this weird conversation about like the lack of male representation in this movie, and like one, like get over yourselves, but like two, if you missed six five two sixty five Winston Duke uh, giving a true like explanation and, and definition of what like masculinity is, then you just weren't watching the movie. Like the dude was perfect and just like absolutely incredible. And Winston Duke is probably like one of the low key most underrated actors going right now. I absolutely love him. He's hilarious. He's charismatic. Like the dude, like people gravitate towards him. Um, and I still, I will die on the hill. One of the biggest victories of the black Panther franchise is taking the character man ape. That is like an African gorilla man and turning them into one of the most genuine and endearing characters in all the MCU. So, um, we can have a longer conversation about that. Shoot me a DM or shoot me a line on Twitter. Um, but Winston Duke crushed it as well alongside all these incredible, um, ladies who absolutely carried the water for that movie. So good. I enjoyed it. Uh, really, really good stuff. We were going to watch it on Sunday. Haven't uh, didn't didn't make it. Haven't seen it yet. I'm as excited listening to your review as I uh, thought I would be. So probably by the time we record this next week, I will have seen uh, Wakanda Forever as well. Um, really excited to hear Winston Duke, um, maybe originator, at least absolute thirst uh, um, king of of thick boy Twitter. Uh, the ladies love. Um, love uh, uh you know and, and i like that you know that it's good for it's good for both of us gerald honestly we're, we're not the most felt human beings we're both we're both built a lot like winston duke and we you know we act just as well i you know kyle you and i definitely definitely are, are touching six five that's for sure <laughs> without a doubt speaking of, of tall uh gentlemen um i watched it finally got around to it i, I don't know why i'd put it off it just was there and uh i had a little time when it was just me wife wasn't around i watched the um the I think it's called Operation Flagrant Foul or whatever. Netflix is untold. The the Tim uh, Donahue uh, one, and it was interesting, man. It, it, uh, I don't know if I'll call it good. It was like very clearly an attempt to kind of spin what happened, and you have to take it with like a kernel of truth. And as much as I love the Manti Teo one, like it felt like this was definitely from a point of view, which I guess a documentary ultimately always is um it was interesting like i said if, if everything you said was true it's a it's it's a, it's a wild tale of course tim donaghy um caught for for fixing matches went into kind of how that happened um the mafia ties the you know the the kind of cd uh, underbelly the david stern is actually worse than all the mobsters now that i believe um it, but but i mean like some of it i think again was to to glorify him and his actions a little bit in a way that was a little icky um and uh it, i will say the thing that i took 
a way that I, I do think I believe, and I don't think the NBA wanted out there, was that there were certainly things that they wanted called, and they like Game 7, so they call things to go long so they can extend and make more money and get more viewers, and they uh, they like bigger market teams to, to make it to the finals, right? Like the Lakers, I will say it, from a mountaintop didn't deserve to win as many times as they did. They had Shaq who's the most dominant player of all time, but they still didn't deserve it. That's why Kobe gets a little bit overrated. Love Kobe talked about his namesake for the Kansas defense. Um, but you know, like Spurs probably could have had a couple extra, uh, championships or as a Spurs fan, I'll say it. Phoenix Suns could have got one. That was a weird, uh, series where that one happened. Why all Suns fans hate the Spurs, but definitely the Lakers against the Kings series was a weird one. Again, not saying Donaghy did all this, but it was, uh, he basically hinted that the NBA, wanted certain series to go a certain way or to at least go to seven when they probably wouldn't have and they always deferred to making sure the the larger market teams uh had the most games and that makes sense because again the lakers we knew they got calls for years but good to hear that uh it was actually mandated from the nba and now maybe that was part of the fabrication um but it fits my narrative so i i like that part of it but um some people when it came out spoke out against it i mean i don't know it's it's interesting basketball politics with their filmmaking is is really interesting right the lakers um showtime series on hbo i think is fantastic and like great entertainment but it took some liberties with the truth so then there was the you know like really haughty blowback of where the Magic Johnson actually endorsed documentary, and this is the real Jerry Buzz. Like, they had to put their own product out to, to counteract that. It seems like they're real sensitive uh, about what gets put out in the NBA um, because it's like one shade away from professional wrestling um, where it's only half scripted. But um, anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. It was an interesting watch, uh, entertaining watch. It's only like an hour, a good good thing to watch um if you if you're curious or just want to relive some some old school basketball and a little bit of a true crime story uh in the middle of it um other the only other thing i've really been on my screen is i i picked up uh assassin's creed rogue i believe it is it's the one after black flag which is the original pirate one still get to be on a boat and and do your marauding uh much like chris beard in the portal so uh it's good I know you love Assassin's Creed game, Gerald. It's one of your favorites. Um, it is legitimately one of my favorite series. It's always funny to me that you don't uh, play them. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's not my favorite. It's probably not even my top three or four, but it's good. I, I like the boat stuff. Uh, I think there's there's a, a, a disturbing lack of uh, driving a boat-style video game. Seems so simple. Any game that gives me the opportunity to go to Haiti and kill slave masters, I'm down for. So Assassin's Creed Black Flag, always a winner. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Again, Kyle will be back on Saturday with your post-game live stream. I will not, but I'll be back on Tuesday with our uh, normal recap podcast and again next Thursday for our preview. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. No rock chalk, but pound the rock. <laughs>